You may be seated. Thank you, guys. Thank you for Melanie and Melanie and uh, working on these songs and bringing them to us. Yeah, thank you. Good. Love it. Uh, I, I have a little bit of exciting news. We're uh, working through the Proclaim system, and it'll be shortly before we have the lyrics and everything back up on the screen and more of our uh, weekly announcements and things like that. We've got some new things coming. The fruit, I hope, of our... Uh, Every Wednesday morning, right? We got to get together. The pastor says, "Come on down here at nine o'clock, and we got to get together." Uh, but it's been fruitful, and it's been good, and and we're going to see. You guys will start to see some of the fruits of that just momentarily. Hopefully, coming up in September, as uh, you know, as it's as the Baptist church schedule always gets back to normal in September when the kids go back to school and and summer starts to settle down, and there's not so many trips to the shore, and everything gets back to normal. We'll get back to work, right? 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 Yeah. <laughs> so this morning we have the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're still in chapter 1, but we've started on this new section last week, and uh, what a glorious section it is to begin to speak these things about the church and the people in the church and Paul's prayer, his blessed prayer. Usually at the top of his letters, this prayer is always something uh, that we want to focus on, and so we'll do uh, just a little more focusing on that this morning. The name of this this morning is Increasing the light in you, because this is uh, uh, this specific verse in verse 18 talks about the eyes of our hearts being enlightened. And uh, to this pastor, that's an absolutely famous statement. I think it's a famous passage, and I think it uh, will be famous to you after we get done today. And it only takes like three hours, and we'll be ready to go uh, just uh, for a nap and then uh, church again tonight. If you have your Bibles this morning and you've turned to book of Ephesians, Join with me this morning at the 15th verse as we read this passage once again. For this reason, uh, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, so that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and consequently seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places." Therefore, above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Gracious fathers, we come to this passage this morning. I'm struck by these words. We are the fullness of your son Christ here in this place. What a tremendous blessing and work, uh, a blessing for us that we could be your representative here, his bride, the church. What glorious realities are to behold as we understand these passages. And indeed, I think at the prayer of Paul, even that we understand them more and more as time goes by. He prays that, prays that, that, that we would go on and that we would come to know uh, your wisdom through the power of the Holy Spirit 
the wisdom that you're giving us to know who you are and to know what you've called us to do, the hope to which you've called us. Not only wisdom, but the, the revelation of spiritual things in our hearts so that, that living here in this place and we seeing the temporal can overcome it in the spiritual and then giving us knowledge to live this life. What glorious blessings are beheld in these few words. Be with us, Father, as we go over them this morning. Speak directly to the hearts of your people through the power of the work of the same Holy Spirit that brings us this wisdom that Paul indeed prays for. Go past my words, use his work in their lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Welcome. Um, love this passage. As you guys can tell, um, I preached this passage as a whole on March 10th when I came and preached for you. And um, there is great treasure in this passage. And as we spend just a little more time in it this morning, I hope you see that. There's something uh, very um, instrumental for the life of the believer. And that's what Paul's going to ultimately tell us, that we have light for our soul. And our souls desperately need the light from Scripture, the light of the truth of God, the light so that we can be not only live in this place, that we can be lights for the glory of God in this place. And I see it as the believer's life is increasing. I believe that's what Paul's praying for. He saw the instrumental effects of the work of the Holy Spirit. He saw their love, right? Uh, he saw their faith in the Lord and their love for one another. And he said, hey, the Lord's working there, and I'm thankful for that. But I want to pray so that they go on and that they understand the greater things, the greater victories that the Christian has, beloved. And that's a life of increasing. That's a life of increasing. And so we've called this little section... The, the entire study we're calling Treasure So Rich because that's what the book of Ephesians is. It is God's gift of sending down to us uh, his view of salvation. Uh, of course, we see it from the ground up, but this gives us the ability in verses 3 through 14 to see it from his perspective. Hey, that tells us that God is doing these things and they can't be reversed or stopped. We may see it from the time that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts looking back to him, back to the cross, and Jesus there in verse 7. We start in verses 13 or 14. Uh, we hear the gospel, the word of our truth, and we go back to 7 and understood that Jesus died on the cross. And then finally we mature to the point where we go back to verses 3 and 4 and we understand that God planned this before the foundation of the world. How great is that, right? Wow! But we also see everything from that perspective. We see sin from that perspective, but we also see our life here from the negative, from that perspective. That's what I want to talk to you a little bit about this morning because it's the light that is infused into your soul through the working of the power of, Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit and God's wisdom, revelation, and knowledge that you get that light in your soul. I want you to have more light in your soul. The church today needs all the light that it can get in its soul. So the believer's life is a life of increasing. So it's true that from the moment that you're born, you begin to die, Right? That is true. Uh, from the moment you were born, you begin to die. And it should be obvious that dying is decreasing and not increasing, right? Which is, what? Well, listen, that's just the common human experience. Life is constantly in this place about loss. But for the believer, that truth is superseded by a greater truth. That the moment that you're born again, you begin to never die. That is a continual increasing. You are dying day by day, and every day that goes by is one day less that you have left to live. But for the believer, your rebirth has reversed and is, this is the important part, and is reversing this process 
and every day now is just another day of eternal days. It's interesting to me how this truth almost has to be understood from the negative perspective. That is, when we are born, again, we see it as the defeat of death, which indeed it is the defeat of death in our lives, and that is glorious, but being born again is life. Life is what you were originally tended for, not death. Death and consequently all disease and destruction entered into the world the moment sin entered into the world, and therefore death has marked everything because that is man's greatest limit, and everything has to be seen as relative in some respect to that one limit, death. In fact, this is uh, uh, Albert Einstein territory here. This is the theory of relativity in some respect, and this theory is easily illustrated in a simple greeting we often hear when we ask someone, how are you doing today? And that person responds by saying, well, I woke up this morning, so it's better than the alternative, I suppose. How often have we said that and how real that is to the way that we see things or perceive things from the negative here, even we who have life. We see it as a lack of death not just as life, which we were intended for from the beginning. But this all just further illustrates a much greater truth about sin and how it affects, how its effects rule man in this world. The fall makes everything relative to the negative. And for the believer, this attitude must be reversed. You don't want to live in the past. You want to live in the victory of the future, especially if the believer is to live, love, have joy, have peace and understanding in this place. Beloved, he... Beloved, you must understand that you live and will never die. Jesus uh, confronted these exact same truths and misconceptions about resurrection and about life and death when Lazarus had died there. You find it in John chapter 11, just two verses. Verses 25 and 26 create quite a dichotomy in the life of the believer. Jesus said to her, saying to Mary and Martha, he's actually addressing them, but through addressing them about resurrection and how life works for the believer in Jesus Christ, he's direct, directly addressing all of us even today. He said to Mary Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's a dichotomy of the greatest form. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That question is awesome. Do you believe this? If you believe in me, you will live and never die. Do you believe this? Is it about life or the lack of death? Beloved, it's about life. And this dichotomy is for every believer here. These two things look entirely different. How can Jesus say, though he die, yet shall he live? How can those both things be true? And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It creates a holy tension Attention because you relate to the negative always, and attention that can only be fully relieved as you mature as a believer, I think, and better understand what God is even indeed doing and how he's doing it in his salvation of you. You see, God is giving you life and light, and that is increasing. And as you consume the word of God and reap its wisdom, reap the spiritual revelations that are available to you, and live in the knowledge that comes through the power of the work of the Holy Spirit, you're increasing. The more you mature as a believer, the greater your understanding of these glorious truths become. You're increasing. Your increasing becomes the greater you love, the greater your joy, the greater your peace in this world will be. You live 
It's not about death being gone. It's about you living. It's not about, boy, you narrowly escaped death and barely made it into glory. You live. Life is your possession. It's your possession, beloved. From God's perspective, you have fully received this life. And this is increasing. So Paul's prayer for these Ephesian believers and for the church today is of extraordinary importance, I believe, because of this dichotomy. It speaks of a process that's set forth in believers' lives from the time of rebirth that Paul wants every believer to possess, an increasing that begins at rebirth and continues until that day when you're in glory. So let's just review this a little bit because it'll be helpful as we come to this next passage in verse 18. Remember what Paul's prayer was last week. He prayed for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you. See, Paul was very thankful of the work of the gospel among these people. Remember, this was five years later. He was in his first Roman imprisonment. He had directly warned the elders at Ephesus at the meeting at Miletus in Acts chapter 19. He said, watch out. There's going to be wolves come in that will destroy. They'll eat up the sheep and lead people away astray. And he gets this information about the church and how it's flourishing there in Ephesus. And it was so important because it was kind of the the foundational church of all the work there in Asia. And they needed to be vibrant and alive, and they needed to be successful so that the other churches could feed off this. And when he got that information, he was thankful that they had continued and and people were being saved there, that he'd heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and that they loved one another. So he begins, I've remembered you all in my prayers that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. And he's like any good pastor, that's not good enough. He wants to see each of those believers reach their full zenith, their full potential. Not that they were only not saved, but that they had so much life to give and to live yet in this place. And so much glory to bring God and witness to bring for the church, right? We are the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are Jesus' fullness here on earth. That's what we're going to get to in the 23rd verse of the first chapter of Ephesians. And beloved, we have to be filled with him to be filling the world of him. So he says, I pray that the God, the Lord of our, uh, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, or the glorious Father, as I like to say, may give you the Holy Spirit to bring wisdom into your life and revelation and the knowledge of him. Remember how important that was, that God would continue to build that wisdom and and revelation of him so that the church wouldn't stagnate there at the first fruits, but that they would go on and grasp all that they have. He'd seen their faith and love, and this was evident in the promises of God and salvation. And we see it there in in verses 3 through 14 as the work of God down salvation. God had a plan before the foundation of the world. He sent his son at the right time about 2,000 years ago to die to pay for his plan to pay for all those who would believe in him in faith. In verse 7 there, it says we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins and trespasses. And then in verses 13 and 14, we see the aspect that reaches each one of us at a different time, and that is the application of salvation because you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believe. This is an increase, right, from dark to light, from death to life. This is rebirth of the believer. The faith they had in Christ and the love they shown For the church was evidence of that, Paul said, but he doesn't stop. He wants the increase to continue and the Spirit's working to bring them wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of God. He wants them 
And what he wants ultimately is that there be a continual increasing in growth and sanctification until the day they're called home to be glorified with the Lord and the ultimate glory of the resurrection of the body when Jesus comes again. We'll be increasing in knowledge till then, and we'll be increasing in this wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of God throughout eternity. We'll have eternity to search the mind and heart of God and never master all that he's done in the glory and the beauty of it. Um, if that doesn't thrill your heart this morning, you may check your pulse. There's no end to the glory of the beauty of God and to, the, to his want for us to know and understand that. He wants, and Paul wants, for them to have a continual increasing that comes from knowing God. Knowing God's word, which gives us wisdom that reveals to us the spiritual truths and gives us a right knowledge or a knowledge that accords to reality, the reality not only of this world but our condition in this world and the reality of, from God's perspective of what he's doing in this world. So that as we begin here in verse 18, you see it there, uh, so that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. And then he cuts down on three things that he wants you to know. The hope to which he's called you. Uh, we're going to work on that just momentarily this morning. Number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And I remind you that's the same word that's in verse 11. Except there it's written, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We are Christ's inheritance. He is our inheritance. I can't wait to tell you more about that as we come to that. It's a glorious inheritance for him and for us. We are his love gifts from the Father, and we are eternally alive because of what he's done for the glory of the Father. So number one, the hope to which he's called you is what he wants you to know as you increase. Number two, the riches and glorious inheritance in the saints. And number three, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, which pulls in the resurrection power, which not only affects us, what we're looking forward to in glorification as Christ comes again and we receive resurrection bodies, but what we're looking forward to in heaven and not only in heaven and in us, but in creation, all of creation, a new heavens and a new earth. Oh, there's so much there. But it begins here, right there in verse 18, the work of the prayer. It's the work of the prayer. He wants that wisdom and revelation and knowledge to give, to do something to be something positive for you, for the believer, to give you something that you could not otherwise procure or possess on your own for yourselves. This was so important to Paul that these believers continue on in this blessing because this will take them through this world and do the work of increase in their lives. This will change you, beloved. This will bring you out of the relative nature of living in this world that we talked about earlier and give you the understanding that you are alive and that you live forevermore. It's the ultimate increasing. So let's look at this passage, just this one phrase, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What does that mean, right? And it's getting to the bottom of each one of these phrases uh, as we start to build the whole that this becomes glorious. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightening. This truth, the eyes of the hearts enlightened, well, the eyes here deal with your senses. Paul brings in this word because he wants this to uh, wants you to have an understanding of, of, of your senses at work here. Uh, and, it's, and it's the one sense that I think that he included, right? He didn't say touch or smell, but it's the eyes specifically that have to be enlightened, that have to be open so that your hearts can be enlightened. It's your sense of perception, your ability to understand. Have you ever heard, I'll believe it when I see it? 
Uh, I'm from Missouri. Our motto there is, I'm from Missouri, show me, right? <laughs> prove it, in other words, right? If I put it in uh, uh, South Jersey speak, uh, prove it, you know, make, make, it, make it happen for me. Show me. Or how about a picture is worth a thousand words? I think it's very illustrative why the one sense that God, or that Paul chose here and that God used was the sense of the eyes and the seeing. Both of those sayings illustrate what Paul is getting at here. He's speaking of a capacity to understand, and uh, he is using eyes because it is through our eyes we see evidentiary proof of something and begin to understand it. We are human after all, right? So it is a seeing or a capacity to understand in our hearts. And heart here is the Greek word cardia, where we get cardiac, right? You nurses all know that. Um, it is literally the human heart, but here it speaks to something even bigger than that, or the center of the human. It's the inner part of the man. It's the soul. It's the spirit. It's the mind. It's the will. It's the part of man that is eternal. It's the whole spiritual nature of man that Paul's speaking of here. It's our thoughts. It's our inner self. So Paul wants this to be part of this part of man, to be enlightened. And that word photizio in the Greek has a its root as its root, phos, which is light, or the nature of light, which ultimately means illumination. Illumination. And in the verb form, it means to, to, to function as a source of that illumination or light. That is, the source is important here because it illustrates, I think, the greater point of what Paul's getting at. Paul is saying... And I am praying for you that God will continue to give you his wisdom, revelation, and knowledge so that you will literally fill your soul with light. Literally, that your soul will be filled with light. Isn't that glorious? That your soul will be filled with light, your inner self. Listen, that's the part that was dark. Right? You starting to see this? It once was dark. Christ come in. The light comes in. And you're somewhere in between pushing out the dark for your own self, though Christ pushed out all the dark on his own. That's glorious. So that your soul, your inner self, your very heart would be full of light. And not only full of light, but a source of light, of light for you to have and know in this place and to be the church in this place. This is the center of Paul's prayer for the church. Beloved, this is exactly what Paul's talking about in increasing. So what? What is the application here, and why does the believer need light in his or her soul? It's simple, really, because you were dead. You were full of dark. By nature, you were a sinner from birth. Beloved, your, your relativism of death and life exists because you were dead. <laughs> and now Christ has made you alive, and it is by having this light in your soul that you will more explicitly know or come to know each one of these three things, the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint, and the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now, this is going to take a minute for me to explain to you, but I, I bear with me because I promise uh, it'll be fruitful. I promise that. You were dead. Ephesians 2.1, if you look just ahead there, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, worldly, wretched followers of and doing the works of your father, the devil. That's who you were. You lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body and your mind, and you were, as God, from God's perspective uh, and from all accounts scripturally, you were children of his wrath. His wrath would be poured out 
on you because you were condemned because of your sin nature. Hey, and all along you thought you were the cool kid, right? Huh? I'm going to destroy that. That needs to be destroyed. I can't destroy it, but God's word can certainly destroy it. Let me tell you, frankly, this morning, you weren't the cool kid. You were the dead kid. Beloved, it's a dark place. Your heart was a dark place. That place was inside of you. It was that same part that Paul wants to be enlightened. It was your heart. It was your will. It was your senses. It was that part that was going to be living eternally except when it was dark and it had no light and there was no light in your soul and by nature you were children of wrath. It was going to live eternally paying for your sins in the pits of hell. But now it lives eternally because of the light of Christ in it and God's work in salvation in the glorious realities of heaven. And that place needed some light, didn't it? But what killed you? Sin. Sin killed you. And here's the second point of relativism. Remember, we justify everything from the negative. For the believer, for the first point is death, that we relativize from the negative. And now that you're alive in Christ, you have a tendency to point to the negative to express the positive, even still. I want you to also remember that the works, this works with sin as well. So the second point of relativism is sin. We tend to see both death and sin from the perspective of man and not God. And I've discussed this about salvation. When we read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, we see from the perspective of God's salvation. To see it from our perspective, we have to look at it backwards from 14 to 3. God's plan before the foundation of the world He sent his son, and then he sent his spirit. But the way we realize it is that he sent his spirit, we heard the gospel, we look back to verse 7, we see that Jesus came and died, and then we finally one day learn that God had planned this before the foundation of the world. This is the work he's doing. This is all the work he is doing in this world, is saving us. It's no different with life and death. It's no different with sin. We tend to look at sin from man's perspective, and death from man's perspective. And when we do that, we see the part of us that's still dead and sinning, the old natural body that the new lighted soul is living in. You got that? I don't want to go too far here this morning, but I want you to see that because once you see that and see the victory that God has given you, you can live. You can take in this light and use it to push out the dark. Because, beloved, here's the truth. When you read your scriptures, when you pray, and the more near you become to Jesus, the more light that comes in, the more dark that goes out. Huh? The more light that comes in, that's why Paul called it increasing. The more light, not that you're saving yourself. From God's perspective, this is what I'm, my point I'm trying to make. You're already saved. It's all done, finished, completed. It's in the past tense in every passage in scripture. But to you, You're still living, relativizing. Stop it. That's my admonition to you this morning. Stop it because you're making yourself weak. Let me make this point in chapter 3 of the book of Romans. I don't know if you have your scriptures with you this morning. I pray that you do because that's what we're learning from. Romans chapter 3, it begins in verse 10. And it was sometime about a year and a half ago when we were preaching through this in a church plant uh, in Missouri that uh, this hit me, uh, just a, God opened more wisdom up to me that's, that's brought more light into my soul, and I want to bring that light into your soul this morning. 
This will give you that perspective of how much you do this. Okay? Begin in verse 10, what Paul's saying, as it is written, nobody's righteous, no, not one. No one understands. Okay, I'm still all right there because I see a lot of ununderstanding people. No one seeks for God. I'm still okay there because I see and when I look into the world, there's a lot of people not seeking God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one goes good. Not even one. Well, Lord, really? Not even one? I'm doing pretty good. Their throat is an open grave. Their, Their tongues are set to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Oh my gosh, this is painting a horrible picture. And their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There's no fear before God's eyes. Who is the Bible talking about here? Because this is surely not me. But from God's perspective, it is. That's how we relativize things. You're doing it with death too. Stop it. Because God has saved you. You live. You live. Present tense. No more to die. Do you believe this? Jesus said, listen to me. Do you believe this? Every person does this. They relativize these things. Uh, That's why Einstein was made famous, I think, because every person has some idea that there's somebody worse than you, right? Uh, Because men like Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler all exist, but looking at sin from that perspective is part of the problem of sin, You must not look at sin from your perspective because you will always make it relative to the person with which you compare your own sin to. Just remember, somebody else is looking at you to make their sin relative. (laughs) That point is always down. I'm not as bad as Hitler, you tell yourself, but I assure you, the human heart, your human heart is capable of this level of depravity. And this is God's understanding of sin, and it needs to be our understanding of sin. It should be self-explanatory, but when members of the current administration passionately plead for the right to dismember babies limb from limb in the womb, you see that level of depravity right on your TV screens. How can they say those things and believe these things and advocate for such brutality against babies? But the only answer to that is sin. So man's view of sin is jaded. It is much jaded by the very sin that teaches you that you're not that sinful. God gives his perspective on the human heart. It's there in Romans 3. We read it. It is complete, and man has a jaded view of sin because of the sin, and then makes a relative assessment of sin that's totally incorrect, deadly even, because he is looking at sin from his own perspective, through his own eyes, and not God's eyes. Even the most sincere of Christians can and does make these mistakes, but there's only one who is good, and that is God. So we relativize death, we relativize sin, we've relativized salvation from our perspective and we need to stop because we've gone from a wretched dead sinner to a living new creation. That's what God has made us. Beloved, here is the reason you need light because you were, not that you are or still are, you were a wretched dead sinner and you are now a new creation in Christ. From God's perspective to man, that is totally completed process. But from your perspective to God, oftentimes you're just barely hanging on, right? You're just barely hanging on. I don't know how I can get through another day. What's the answer? Beloved, the answer is to enlighten, just to have the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, to see yourself as God sees you. Do you understand that? That's why Paul prays this, because he knew times were going to be tough. 
This began in verses 13 and 14 when you heard the word of truth, you know, the gospel of your salvation. That light came into you. Paul recognizes this in this prayer as faith in Jesus and love for the other saints. But Paul preaches the same truth maybe a little more clearly here in 2 Corinthians 4 through 3, uh, 4, 3 through 6. Let me read these. He's saying, even our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are dead and dying. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sakes. For God said, let light shine into or out of the darkness, has shown into your hearts to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has shown this light in you and has brought you salvation. How could you ever be dead again? You were without the light. The gospel came, and now you see the light of Christ, the light of the living word. That is why Paul is praying so that you have received the living word, Christ, uh, and he became to you the wisdom and power of God. The light has saved you. The word has saved you, and now you are a new creation. And wisdom and revelation and knowledge... The enlightening of your soul is saving you. (laughs) It's taking you to the next step. It is sanctifying you and giving you an increasing right there in your soul, that one place that was dark and dead and death and dying. And this is where the tension is. This is where the relativism is, the work that you need light in your soul to procure so that you can go and know the hope to which you've been called. He yelled it from these mountaintops and yelled it from the depths of his lungs in the mountaintops, Paul did in Romans chapter 7. He says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul understood that his old nature was at war with his new nature, and it was the only thing to push away the old nature day in and day out was to have his soul enlightened by the word and knowledge of what God had done in Jesus Christ. Because he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself do serve the law of God with my mind or my heart, that inner part, but with my flesh, sin. This is every believer's experience. And the reason we increasingly need the light in our souls, listen to me, beloved, there's one thing I know and one thing I understand after pastoring now for going on 30 years is that this world will bruise your soul. It will leave some marks. And each one of you has and is smarting from the sin that maybe somebody else has committed against you. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was physical or mental or sexual abuse. Maybe somebody lied to you. Maybe somebody stole from you. It doesn't matter what it is. This world bruises your soul. But when you focus on the living word and the written word of God, and the Spirit gives you wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God and what He has done, and as your eyes of your heart continue to be enlightened, there's an increasing measure of the wisdom and revelation and knowledge of God, and there is a decreasing of the bruises and the hurt and the pain that sin has caused. Maybe it's sin that you've committed against somebody else, beloved. But this is the remedy for it. The truth of God comes in and it brings in such a light that it can't be denied. 
it reminds you day in and day out that it is not God who has condemned you, but that you are condemning yourself because he has saved you. Your faith is in Jesus Christ and your sins are as gone. Beloved, the scriptures say as far as the east is from the west, you're the one still dealing in these things, not God. Beloved, let the light come in and push the death out. If you're waiting to make some proclamation about who Jesus is in your life, don't put it off a day longer. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've done that and you're waiting to be baptized, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to the light. There is healing in the light. There is forgiveness in the light. Jesus will cleanse you in the light and fill your very most inner being with the truth of his word. He will make you new. I know the scripture says that over and over. Do you believe it? You hear Jesus? Do you believe these things? That those who believe in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Beloved, that's living. You need that light. Paul says, I got to pray for these, beloved. I got to pray for this church so that they would have this light. Because it's in this light you can begin to understand the hope to which he has called you in Jesus Christ. What the inheritance you are for Christ and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Because it's past what we can realize. We're finite. He's infinite. There's no end to the power of what he can do. Oh, but you have to open up and let the light in. Just a couple quick passages. We're running short on time. Turn in your books with me uh, this morning to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. This is what happens when the pastor gets way off his notes. This is how the second and third hour come on the sermon too. All right, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Here's the fruit though, okay? Two things. Exodus 34, it begins in verse 29. And then we're going to 2 Corinthians. Exodus 34, 29. Just down through this passage. Let's just read these words. It's good enough. When Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and he came down from the mountain... Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them that all the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out, and then he would put the. <clears throat> and when he came out and told the people of Israel what he, what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses's face was shining. So Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went out to speak with him. Beloved, if you spend time with Jesus, in His Word, you'll shine. That's what God wants, that we be so full, so full of Jesus that we begin to shine. Just one more passage, 2 Corinthians 
chapter 3, verse 17. Just let me read it to you. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That freedom's for you, not for the spirit. The spirit's already free, right? The freedom is yours. Are you free? Are you free of worry of death? Are you free of worry of sin? <laughs> Are you free of worry about this world? Let the light in. Let the spirit in. Take in the wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of God that pushes these things away. Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from one moment of glory to the next. Beloved, this is the hope of your calling. This passage right here is the hope of your calling. That you were wretched, dead sinners and you're being changed to the glorious image of Jesus Christ your Lord. And it's through the infusion of the light and wisdom and knowledge of God that you're being exchanged. And we all with unveiled face, that is, we take the veil off and we look full into the word of God and to Jesus Christ. And we reconcile what God is doing to us in this place. With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of the Lord, the undiminishable glory of the Lord are being transformed into that very same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Your time spent with the Lord Jesus Christ is never wasted. He's giving you the glorious truth and knowledge of God which is wisdom, revelation, and knowledge for your soul. It is light and is pushing out the darkness. Spend time with Jesus. Gracious Heavenly Father, this day as we come to a close, I'm never more encouraged by the beloved saints here as they shake their heads and they understand these truths. It's evidence, Father, as Paul would say, of their faith in you, that's evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in them, that they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Spirit has indwelt them, and they understand these truths, and they, they recognize these truths when they hear them, and they, they shake their heads and they say amen. And they agree, because it's the work of the Spirit in us and in your word. And oh, the love that they have, that they've showed not only for Liz and I and my family, but they've showed among one another. And to see it increasing is so heartening, Father, but I don't stop our prayers there, that you would continue to send the work of that spirit in and bring in the precious glory of the truth of what you've done so we'll understand the life that you've given us and the sin that's been overcome on our behalf on the cross of Calvary some 2,000 years ago. Indeed, the plan before the foundation of the world. What glorious truths are beheld here. What treasure so rich we find in the book of Ephesians. Father, bury these deep in the hearts of the beloved that are here and for the ones who have not stood and made full witness testimony. Maybe they just haven't stood and said, I'm a Christian, but they believe these things. Maybe you're calling them to do that this very day. Maybe they haven't uh, stood and make that public commitment even in baptism. Father, may they, may they stand. Give them courage. And help them to know that that light's for them too and that you're doing that work in them. Father, thank you for your glorious truth. Be with us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.